I'm Jake Corley. And I'm Mark LaCour. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing. This is the show for busy oil professionals who want to quickly keep their fingers on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week, episode 101. 101. And we're not alone today, are we, Jake? No, we're not. Who do we have with us? We have got Paige Wilson. Yep. And... Hello. Patrick Pester. Hey yo. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're all here at Nape. We're actually in the press room. So if you hear the noises in the background, it's a little bit noisy. Um, but we're recording all our shows live from the event. And before we get in that though, Jake, we got a little bit of banter going on. I had uh, Michelle Ritter reach out to me. Um, and I actually her husband, Patrick, is um, is uh, the Chevron guy that we recorded. Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah That's it, cool. Yeah. It's a small world. But anyway, yeah. she very daintily corrected my English. And I just think it's cool. So anytime any of us make a mistake or we do something wrong, you need to reach out to us as an audience and let us know because we want to know if we're doing something wrong. My wife corrects my English every time we have a podcast. <laughs> she is an English major and a communicator, so she loves me have it. I just carry a red <laughs> pen everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So actually, I was obviously using uh, Jake. I would actually say Jake and I. Uh, and I should say, actually say reach out to Jake and or me. So, uh, Michelle, big shout-out. Thanks for uh, helping us. Thank us for correcting. And then uh, they're actually coming to OTC. And so when they come as a group, we need to, like, show them a good time. Maybe bring them national oil, shrimp oil, or something that they normally couldn't get into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so um, before we get into our news articles, I just need, want to congratulate, or, or not congratulate, I want to thank our on-the-road sponsor. The reason we're here at NAEP is with their help. So uh, Lee Heck and Harrison, uh, they're global experts in talent management. Uh, they're currently helping over 75% of the Fortune 500 oil and gas companies simplify the complexity of leadership and workforce transformation. So if you have a workforce and you're in oil and gas and you need some help, reach out to them. Great company, great people. And then we're on the road. Uh, Jake and I are going to be at Geo Convention in May. Um, we have uh, uh, OTC coming up. Uh, at, in Geo Convention, if you still have time, you can reach out to Dustin. We'll put a link in the show notes and get a booth, uh, which is normally $1,800 or 1600 if you're one of our listeners. Uh, Patrick and I will be at Process Safety and Oil and Gas. Uh, the whole gang will be at OTC, um, both at the National Oil Shrimp Bowl and actually recording from OTC floor. We've got a whole bunch of other stuff coming, so stay tuned. Uh, we, we all may be coming to a town near you. So, Jake, let's get into our news stories. All right. First up is an article that kind of went somewhat viral in the oil and gas community. Uh, it's titled The United States of Oil and Gas. Uh, and it dives a little bit into the current oil boom since 2010 and kind of dives into why the Permian is so hot. You know, it's not something that's new. It's been around since the 20s. Um, it's actually been around since the Pleistocene here. I want to get technical. <laughs> Technically <Whoa>. speaking. <laughs> yeah, well, so the funny thing about that, a lot of people don't understand this, but here in, Europe, here in the U.S. and in Europe, if you have a natural gas stove and you turn your stove on, you literally have an infrastructure, miles and miles of pipeline, that actually take you all the way back to when these formations were formed in the Pleistocene era. So it's almost like you have, you're connected to a time frame. That gas that is that is burning your stove actually came from the compressed and decomposed remnants of, of ancient swamps and dinosaurs and algae and, and everything else. And so literally, it's kind of cool. You're connected to that long ago in history, the Pleistocene era. <laughs> we're going to leave it at that. Yeah. we got all of us here. So, let's, Jake, let's talk a little about some of the stats about this, this article. So we've got more than 900,000 active oil and gas wells in the U.S., uh, and more than 130,000 of those have been drilled since 2010, according to Drilling Info. Um, many basins, if you're kind of looking at the data, have 
been declining for quite some time, with the exception of the Gulf of Mexico and the Permian Basin. So then it kind of dives into, so why is the Permian Basin's production, total production, increasing over time? Uh, and most of that is thanks to new technology. It's yeah. fracking, it's new horizontal drilling technology, um, and operators are able to unlock massive untapped resources uh, in that region. And the cool thing, Jake, is they've gotten so much better at just in the last five years. So things like decline curves aren't as steep as they used to be. The cost of drilling as wells are much cheaper. They've learned the geology. They've learned the geoscience around it, so they can find those reservoirs much easier. And you're right, it's all due to science. And you know, you and I talk about this a lot on the show, but a lot of it also involves around big data analytics and them being able to look at all these different points of information in real time and use it to their advantage. So yeah, technology, is, is driving all of this, and not just in the Permian, but everywhere in the world. Yeah, and then the last half of the article is kind of diving into something that we've talked about at least two or three times uh, over the last couple of months, uh, is that the federal government owns 28% of all land nationwide, uh, most of which is out west. And so four agencies, National Park Service, Fish and Wildlife Service, Bureau of Land Management in the Interior Department, and the U.S. Forest Service um, are responsible for 95% of these lands. Um, and according to the U.S. Geological Survey, they're saying that all of these lands, or all, all these areas are just stacked full of rich resources. And so there's a lot of speculation as to, with this new administration, what is going to happen? Are they going to open these lands up for drilling, or are these going to stay, you know, preserves? Yeah, and so one of the things that people ask me all the time, because when they hear this, they get worried. They go, well, if you open up all this land to drilling, then it's going to increase the amount of supply of oil and gas, which you could we're going to have another slump in prices. And it's not true. Just because they open these lands up to drilling does not mean that an operator will go out and drill. The other thing is these uh, these new finds, these new areas are in pristine areas. There's no infrastructure, there's no roads, there's no pipeline, there's no water. So that cost of building infrastructure has to be figured in too. So the normal checks and balances of a market for our audience is going to keep this from flooding the market. But it goes back to what I've been saying for a long time is that we're living in a hydrocarbon abundant world. I mean, it's everywhere. And here's a whole a perfect example, a whole bunch that hasn't even been explored yet. And the next article uh, is a little <laughs> no, bit. Wait, wait, wait! For, for that, I want to go back a little bit. But Paige, you played in that that, regu that land regulation world for years, didn't you? Yeah, it was. It's more regulatory compliance, so it's not necessarily land. Um, so it's more the operating portion of, well, a, a, an EMP company. Yeah, and that compliance is another big cost to the industry, right? So a lot of right. people out there believe that these oil companies just go show up somewhere and dig a hole in the ground and make print money. And no, there's all kinds of layers of, of cost, of checks and balances. I mean, the part that Page was involved is it made sure that the operators were operating safely and effectively, both for their people and for the environment and by the laws of whatever state they're in. And Page, that's a mess, right? Each state oh. is different. Oh, and if it's not federally, you know, federal lands, that, that also makes a difference. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and like Jake just read, there's, what, what was it, five federal organizations that have some form of ownership over this this land that so you're not just dealing with over one 95 percent of it yeah yeah so you've yeah. got to deal with five separate agencies to get approvals at whatever stage of the process you're in right in addition to the state agencies right yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and i just i just want to point out the thing in this article that um that uh, is really noteworthy the, toward the very end we talk about in dallas in the barnett shell um mitchell energy introduced a new method of drilling drilling horizontal into the shell formations. He did that in 2002. That does not seem like it was that long ago, but it was. It took that long for that to catch on. It's been 15 years since they figured it out. It's quite some time, and they were originally, I, I kind of dived into that because I was kind of curious. The I, I looked at his Wikipedia, and I noticed his wife's name, Cynthia Woods, and mm -hmm. we're about 
like two miles from the Cynthia Woods Pavilion here in Houston. And so it's, it was pretty neat. I, I kind of connected the dots on those two. Yeah. We may have to go record a pop- podcast in there. Cynthia Woods Pavilion. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds cool. All right. Let's move to the next one. All right. So the next article is obviously biased. Just uh, why do you say it's obviously biased? <laughs> All right. So it's called uh, Donald Trump removes anti-corruption rules for oil and gas companies. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a biased headline at all, does it? <laughs> so the states uh, that it states that regulations were put into place during the Obama administration that forced oil and gas companies to disclose payments to foreign governments. And our current Secretary of State and the former CEO of Exxon, Rex Tillerson, uh, is apparently an outspoken critic of this rule. Yeah, and, and so yeah, this is a very biased article. What happened? There's a lot of there's a lot of legalese wrapped around this, right? Um, and it ties into the, the whole Dodd-Frank legislation to reform the financial institutions, and it placed a burden on the oil and gas industry. When you say something like you must disclose, disclose payments made to foreign government, that sounds relatively easy, but that's not what it is. It's all these layers of accounting that has to be done. Literally every dollar that a, a U.S. Uh, oil and gas company spends in another country has to be accounted for, coded, and then reported to the federal government. And that's not fair. The reason it's not fair is they don't make other people do that. They don't make the automotive industry do that. They don't make uh, finance. They don't make manufacturing. It's just oil and gas. So that layer of complex financial reporting they have to do is a burden. And it, like I said, it's not quite fair. This thing should be overthrown. But this title is so biased. <laughs> and, and when you talk about payments to foreign governments, you know, Mark, you and I were talking a little bit earlier about NOCs. If you drill for oil outside of the United States, you're dealing with a foreign government just like we have five different agencies, regular federal lands here in the U.S. Other countries have foreign governments that are regulatory bodies, but they're also the oil companies. So you have to do business with them. You have to you have to pay them for their services. They pay you. It, it, if you do business outside of the United States and oil and gas, you're going to have to make some form of payment to a foreign government. And I'm not saying it's illegal. I'm saying you're going to have to do business with them. Yeah, you, absolutely. You have no choice. So you go to like to Brazil. Up until just recently, and I think they just changed this because they're suffering so bad. But if you wanted to drill in Brazilian waters, by law, you had to form a joint venture with Petrobras, which was their not the nationalized oil company. Well, think of all the payments that you would have to do if you're an operator to Petrobras. All the staff, all the materials, the drill rigs, the drill pipe, the drill stem, the food, production facilities. You had to track every bit of that, code it, and report it to the federal government. I'll give you a good analogy. If any of y'all know um, physicians that have to deal with our health insurance, the amount of money, the percentage of their profits that they use to staff up to actually do all that insurance coding, for my primary care physician, he told me it's 40% of the money he makes goes to the staff just to code everything properly for the insurance. So imagine if you have that type of overhead, you know, in the oil and gas industry, if you remove that, it's make a company, it make it easier for companies to make money, which allows them to hire more people, provides more prosperity. So very biased article. Good find, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> so Trump is reportedly preparing executive orders to reshape the EPA. This is nothing new. This is something we've been talking about for a long time. Yeah, and, and it needs to have happened. So the EPA, years ago, the EPA did really, really great work. They were a small organization. They reported directly to Congress. I mean, the Clean Air Act. You know, the reason that we no longer have smog over L.A. or no longer have acid rain in the, um, the northeast part of the country is because of the Clean Air Act, because of the EPA. And so they cleaned up. A lot of people don't understand this. Our air pollution peaked in 1978. Every year it gets better. Um, our air and water is so much cleaner now than it was 30 years ago. What happened, though, is the EPA went from doing being an organization that answered to Congress that did good work for the American people to being a political organization. It grew enormously. It quit reporting to Congress. And in the last couple of years, it's been overstepping its bounds. 
And the EPA has no right to come in and regulate at each state things like emission laws, right? That's not part of his charter, but it, they did it and they try to do it. So Trump had vowed during his uh, election, during his campaign, to, to basically gut the EPA. And I am 100% for it. We, we need to remove all that. It's become a government agency. It's become a bureaucracy. It doesn't do things for the good of the American people anymore. It does things from a, from a political agenda. And it longer, no longer reports to Congress. So I'm right there with him. I'll go help him start. I'll, I'll go start writing pink checks, pink slips right now with him. <laughs> One of the things I found interesting from this article was uh, on February 14th, Representative Lamar Smith, who's the chairman of the House Representatives Committee on Science, Space, and Technology, asked the EPA's inspector general to investigate whether the EPA staff were using encrypted messages to coordinate efforts to derail the new administration's agenda. That's crazy. <laughs> so we don't know what happened with that. No, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, we'll have to stay on top of that one. Um, but yeah, I'm a big, big uh, uh, proponent of this. Um, it needs to have happened. Um, it's going to remove layers of cost in the oil and gas industry. That means that in this long-term, low crude price environment, oil and gas companies can make more money, which means they can hire more people, do more exploration, run their companies. So it's just good for everybody. Tear it apart, just like they did with the MMS. So Paige, what's the MMS? Minerals Management Service. <laughs> and the government gutted them? Gutted them, turned them into uh, the Bureau of Ocean... Energy. So like Energy Management Regulation and Enforcement. Right, and then it went over, then they reorged again, and it became uh, Boehm and Bessie. Bessie, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, so I would actually, rather than just get rid of the whole bunch of the powers of EPA, de-staff it, right? Pull it back down to size where it's small again. I don't really want them to see them transform into something else. <laughs> yeah, it got really confusing. That's why I can't remember any of it. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right, what's next? It, somebody's been listening to the Oil and Gas HSE podcast. Is what's next? Is the uh, <laughs> we're stealing your articles? <laughs> Jake found an article about drones. Uh, it's good to see. It, it doesn't really have a lot of meat to it, but it talks about ENI's uh, is moving to using drones offshore for facility inspections. Now, it doesn't really get into the size and capacity of drones. If you want to know more about that, go to the Own Gas HSE <laughs> podcast, episode 25. 25. 25. Yeah. Um, and we talk a lot. We go into some, some great detail about it. But it's nice to see that they're actually using drones offshore to do these inspections versus, you know, sending somebody over the side in a, in a bosun's chair, you know, having you know, standby boats and everything else you need. Um, I don't know how regulated they are offshore. I really, we didn't get into that in the in the podcast. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, if you're a listener out there and you're in that drone world, let us know what it's like offshore. We figured out what it was on land on the U.S. I, I, yeah, I don't know either, Patrick. And these drones that we're talking about, like think back when we went to the uh, Digital Oilfield Conference, these are large drones. These are not little play drones that you go and buy at Best Buy. These things are enormous, right. can carry some weight. Yeah, so the, Probably the, me. So the FFA yeah. says a 55-pound uh, payload is, is the max they can have. Um, that may be the same offshore if there's, you know, if they're still in U.S. waters, you're still under the FAA. But I don't know about uh, getting in international waters. But I mean, that's big. That's a that's a large sized drone and uh, 35 miles an hour hour winds that they, they could handle. That's that's impressive. These are these are beasts. These aren't the little hobby drones you go and buy and, and give your nephew for Christmas. Yeah. So not to get off on a tangent, but we're actually at Oil and Gas Global Network looking to pick up a drone for our own use. And I've been um, researching drones, and I didn't realize this. There's actually a whole sport, and it's drone racing. I oh, watched yeah, that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> 100 miles an hour. Some of these things hit 100 miles an hour. That's crazy, right? 
So I don't know if OGGNs could get one that does 100 miles an hour. But <laughs> we should get a racing team. We should get a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the use of drones is, is taken off like crazy in the industry in, in so many different facets. But you're right, Patrick. One of the biggest things is it drives safety. Um, you know, anytime you don't have to get a person involved, number one, there's not less chance of a person making a mistake. But number two, if the if the drone crashes, nobody gets hurt. Well, right. and the first time I saw drone usage in the oil field, it had to be five or ten years ago. But it wasn't it wasn't flying drones. These were swimming drones they used for tank inspection. And they were going to send them offshore to start doing hull inspections and hull cleanings. But I never actually saw it go into practice. So it was a good idea. They just they'd rather send some divers down or take it into a, into dry dock to get it done. But uh, it's nice to see they're actually using these the drones for offshore inspections now. Yeah, Slumberjay actually bought a company. I can't remember the name of it. They were at OTC last year and the year before. It was a totally autonomous offshore drone. And Slumberjay was getting ready to try to do some tests to see if they could uh, set up patterns where they'd go inspect capped wells offshore as a service to the government that, of course, Slumberjay would charge for. And then the drone would find if there's a leak before any person, before he would show up on the surface. I don't know where that went. If we have him out there for Slumberjay, listen, let us know if that's still going on out there. Yeah. All right, so we have a winner for the Red Wing bag. And who's our winner? Jeremy Vanderhaar. Uh, he's an assistant driller over at Enzyme. Yeah, so congratulations, Jeremy. You've won this awesome Red Wing offshore bag. We actually have our Red Wing offshore bags here at Nape, holding all our gear. If you would like a Red Wing offshore bag without having to come to Nape, it's pretty easy, right? You go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Enter your information. We pull one lucky winner a week. See official site for rules and details. And our rig count for the week, continuing the trend of continuously going up, we are up 12 for a total of 741 active rigs. That is awesome. I'm telling you, we need to get a pool together and, and everybody chip in some money and see where we are at the very end of 2017. I'll put my number out there now, 1,300. 1,300, man, that is aggressive. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I, I saw an article earlier this week, I wish I would have sent it to you, Jake, but um, almost 50% of the land rigs in the United States are here in Texas, according to that article I read. I don't, I don't have a source I can cite, so I can just be making it up. But, 30% of all the rigs right now, from the stats that I saw earlier today, are in the Permian. Yeah, I just, believe that. Yeah, wow. 30% yeah. in the Permian. The rest of the 70% are the entire United States. Wow. And I also know that all the new high horsepower rigs, they're all in the Permian. I don't think they're, they're any anywhere else. So it's um, that there's the newest, fastest, best fleet besides the number of rigs. And if you're working in the Permian right now and you're listening, let us know how this is going. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, actually, if you are, I was laughing, how cool a field trip would it be for us to go out to the Permian action to a drill site, right? That would be awesome, Throw yeah. some FRs on, get our steel toes, yeah. and actually see a land operation. So if you're out there and you work for an operator of some sort and you can help us make this happen, let us know. We'll give you all kinds of fleet free coverage in order for us as a, as a podcast group to actually come see it in operation. Because I've been offshore a bunch. I've never seen an actual drilling shell rig uh, on land. I've seen production facilities. I've seen after they go in production. I've never actually seen them drill. So I would love to, I'd love to bring all of We'll come up to the rig. We'll set up inside the driller shack. And <laughs> <laughs> in the doghouse. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, if you're at NAPE um, and you're listening to this, we were here. You're just going to miss us because this thing's delayed when it goes out. But if you didn't know about NAPE, one of the ways you can learn about all these oil and gas events is we put out a free newsletter. It's really easy. Uh, Jake's put a link in the show notes. We take everything that's going on, stick it in one newsletter, stick it in your inbox once a month, and we do it for free. And then, Jake, what do we have coming up? First Friday Q&A, brother. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what do we have coming up? I blanked there. I was like, is there something I don't know about? Yeah, so we have First Friday Q&A coming up uh, for March. If you have a question, just go to the website or just look in the show notes. Uh, submit a question to us. Those are always fun. We're always uh, 
enjoying those. Yeah, the first Friday Q&A has become our, our audience's favorite uh, part. Um, and we don't have all the details worked out, Jake, but we have, I think, three universities that have reached out to us that want us to come do a first Friday Q&A. Can we name them or no? Um, let's wait till we get it locked down. Okay. Right? Because we'll be happy to give them free publicity, but I don't want to give them free publicity and then something falls apart. And then we also have, I'm not going to say which one either, one of the super majors wanting yeah. us to come and do a first Friday Q&A. Super cool. Yeah. So <laughs> um, if you have an organization you'd like Jake and I to come do a first Friday Q&A or just to talk, we'd be happy to do so. And we could also bring the entire Oil and Gas Global Network, all the podcasts, uh, Oil and Gas HSNE, Oil and Gas Industry Leader, and we have more coming. Um, if you like the show, can you do me a favor? Leave us a review. And Jake, I made a mistake last time. I said we hadn't had a review since June. I was just wrong. I didn't know how to read iTunes. You just don't know how to work in computer. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, so it took Paige pointing out that I was reading it wrong for us to figure out we got some reviews. And so what, what kind of reviews were we getting? Uh, so they're all five-star reviews. Awesome. So I'm going to go Thank through you, and um, I'm going to take the time because we, we were complaining about it. Nobody was leaving reviews. So let's go through and uh, just give you guys the credit. We'll go through and read these really quickly. Uh, the first one was just a few days ago. Uh, they write, as difficult as it may seem to combine oil and gas related topics and humor, <laughs> these guys managed to pull it off. I didn't think we were that humorous, but I guess so. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you have uh, an interest in any field of work in oil and gas from financier to engineer, it's imperative that you understand the economics of the industry. Not only do these guys break down the most important themes each week, but they also offer tools to help you achieve success in your career via networking events and related organizations. Keep up the great work. Mark and Jake, you're providing value to an impoverished community of listeners. Awesome. Yeah, who's that from? Uh, it's just a username. Yeah, what's the no, username? Though? No, no Velout. <laughs> I'm guessing. No, I don't know. Yeah, so a big thank out, a big thank you, Novellout. It's a great, great, great that you find our stuff valuable. Next one is up is from Matt Dusalt. He's the VP of Sales over at Roberts Energy. He said, guys, love the podcast. Thanks for doing it. I force all my salesmen to listen to it every week <laughs> and then quiz them randomly so I know they stay on top of their game. Oh, that is great. <laughs> that is classic. So some people are hating us out there. Um, <laughs> we are a downstream company. would love to hear more about refined products and downstream-related topics if possible. Thanks again. Yeah, it's definitely something we could do more yeah, of we need for to do sure. More of that. Yeah. Uh, next one up is from Sandy's. It's a really long Sandy with a Z at the end. <laughs> a lot of Zs. Um, she writes, as a student, young professional in petroleum engineering, I absolutely love oil and gas this week. One of the best sources of news for the industry. Uh, I recommend it to all of my colleges. Cool. Thank you very much. Up next is from Down to Podcast. That's the username. Uh, I'm an oil and gas professional who loves this podcast uh, and uses it to catch up every week. Mark really knows what he's talking about. Most of the media I consume is liberal, so this is a great uh, different perspective. I also think that anyone could find the podcast informative and interesting, even if you uh, don't have an oil and gas background. Yeah, that's a nice compliment. That was good. Uh, next one is from <laughs> D Diagiovanna Italia, I think. Okay. Uh, they write great insight into the oil and gas industry. Just graduated with an economics degree from UT at Austin. We'll be joining a deal strategy team down in Houston that focuses on the oil and gas sector. As a beginner in the industry, this podcast is incredibly helpful and informative. Not only does it teach and keep me updated with industry news and trends, it also gives me a good old laugh. <laughs> keep it up, guys. Yeah, thank you. And two more. 
Uh, this one's from Eric Stoles. So I actually met up with Eric uh, about two weeks ago, and I just talked with him about 30 minutes ago uh, here at NAPE. Really cool guy. Uh, he wrote, I really enjoy listening to Jake and Mark about their current take in oil and gas. I recently met Jake and can personally vouch that he is a down, as down to earth and passionate about the industry as he uh, shows in the podcast. Well, thank you, Eric. Yeah, you know what, Paige, did we meet Eric at the at API? API? Yeah. yeah, so we met him too. Yeah. Eric's getting around. Eric's, he's putting himself out there. Yeah. Uh, and I look forward to hearing more from you too and getting more involved in some of the events you guys mentioned. Hope to meet you soon. Uh, well, we already met, so you're awesome. Uh, and then the very last one, uh, they write, this is an absolute must listen. listen. This is from Evan Kirkham. He writes, I'm a law student interested in earning, or entering the oil and gas industry. Unfortunately, between the incessant acronyms, engineering jargon, <laughs> and seemingly limitless market drivers, <laughs> I was finding it hard to wrap my brain around the industry. Oil and gas this week's cuts through the complications and serves up a palatable explanation of everything from industry fundamentals to cutting edge oil and gas technologies. I can honestly say that I have learned more listening to oil and gas than any of uh, oil and gas this week than any of my independent studies. I am now comfortable engaging in conversation with industry experts and I'm willing to initiate the conversation. Thanks for what you do. Yeah, what an awesome kind of compliment. Patrick when we record our show later, I hope we have as many reviews to read as Jake just read off because I'm a feel bad. We have a few. Those we are all this many. month. Those are all this month. So yeah. Yeah. thank you to everybody who wrote in. We really appreciate it. Uh, it definitely means a lot. It's going to help us, especially with you know just promoting uh, the show and with the exposure. Um, so keep listening. Keep telling your friends um, because because of you guys, we're able to actually do this. Yeah. And then it's... Um just so everybody knows, if you're wondering how to subscribe to the podcast, if you're a new listener, the easiest thing to do is go to our website, so oilandgasthisweek.com, pick any episode or pick the page that says subscribe, and there's a whole bunch of different ways to subscribe using whatever uh, tool, and whatever um, you know, operating system makes you happy, we got you covered. It's also, you can listen directly from the, the website itself, and if you notice, there's a place for you to sign up for, our, our, for, the, for the actual um, the podcast, but also any information we're putting out there. So Jake and I have a live event coming up where I'm actually talking to somebody. I think we found the sponsor to actually pull this thing off. And so we will announce it first in our email list from that website. So go sign up and then we'll also announce it from the Oil and Gas Global Network second. And that's we'll, a very limited event too. Yes, we, yeah, very limited. This could be a very cool uh, food drink. Uh, me and Jake and actually we'll get some professional soundmen so it actually sounds really good. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then if, uh, if, if you like this, can you do me a favor? What should they do, Patrick? Share. Share, share, share. <laughs> yeah, share, share, share. Sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. And also, if you haven't joined our LinkedIn group, go take a ch- check it out real quick. It's All and Gas Global Network, OGGN. It's the uh, kind of the family of all of the podcasts. Um, and that's about it. And, and we have our Facebook group. Yep. Oh, we have our Facebook, Facebook group. Facebook group is closing on 100, and we really haven't been trying to promote that we as well it yeah all. so it's yeah. made so it's growing so that's cool too and if the uh, show listeners don't know you can actually watch us do some of the podcasts on the facebook group for a limited time we don't put it all out there but yeah, yeah so it's on the oil and gas global network uh, facebook page is where you actually can see uh the the facebook lives that once we finish their state up there as a video so if you want to watch any of us you want to see what we look like um go check out our, our oil and gas global network facebook page all right so uh emails have anything to add Nope. Let's get back to the party. Get back to the party. (laughs) We got another show to record. Yeah. (laughs) All right, folks. So do great work. Pay it forward. And we will see you next time.